in Double Dragon, they have the Rosetta Stone in there just as a because it was more recognizable than how they originally titled it in Double Dragon Three. Double Dragon Three, I almost made it out of the first room once. <laughs> <laughs> Double Dragon Three, The Legend of Bimmy and Jimmy. It's like all of them, though, right? <laughs> Not just three. They're all Bimmy. They're all Jimmy. <laughs> no. No, 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 no. Double Dragon 3, Bimmy and Jimmy is straight up just Bimmy and Jimmy. It's like the other ones are Billy and Jimmy, but Bimmy and Jimmy, I, you know, that's their legend. What about Jimmy and Jamie's? Doesn't exist, bro. Oh. Just a reminder this is a spoiler heavy podcast. Different series that require a spoiler warning will be in the description. Also, sorry in advance for screwing up the story of Exus. I'm pretty certain we butchered that. Hi, everybody, and welcome to yet another episode of Gaming Theater Podcast. Today's episode is going to be about written stone tablets. Tablets with words and other phrases that are on there that have lasted throughout the course and history of time. Some of these have been so influential that they've been both, we have them in real life and in fiction. So, before we get started in order to get through this and explain some of this stuff, let's just go around the place and introduce each other. Uh, once again, my name is Leo. I am the Geek Scorpio. My name is Brandon, and I am also known as Tomato Man, with a 7. Kyle, also known as K-By. Steven, also known as Noble Snarf. Alright, now before we get started, let's take a quick trip to the Magical Merch Booth. Hi everyone, this is Leo, the Geek Scorpio. The Bard has stepped out for a while, but I wanted to take this time to thank all of our fans for supporting this podcast. Thanks to your help, we managed to bring some awareness and get some charitable donations to Simply Cats. Keep an ear out as we have something planned in November for Extra Life. Thank you once again for all of your support, and now, back to the show. So, with this... Um, this is an interesting subject that we've had. There was a video that we made uh, back for Gaming Theater uh, Presents, and I'll put the link into the description for you guys if you want to check it out, about written stone tablets. Now, in short, written stone tablets they have been around for literally centuries, decades, and even millennia, which was a weird order to say that, but I already did that. So, anywho, when you have these stone tablets, anything that's written in there is uh, written to basically stand the test of time there used to be a there's a saying that out out there called written in stone and that's basically what it means that it's just whatever you write down is is going to always stick around when you have these things there's uh some of our greatest stories have been passed down from history and generation because of this especially anything that's in the a lot of stories from the bc era mostly it's just these are the rules and we uh, and it's just easier to put in stone so everyone understands this cannot be changed. Now, we're going to go over a couple of ones that are both from fiction and nonfiction ones that have been around the world. And I think the best way to start is from one of the earliest stone tablet texts that we have, which is um, the Epic of Gilgamesh. The Epic of Gilgamesh is the is one of the oldest stories that we have as in history. Um, and it's just the, the, the story of, you know, Gilgamesh. He's a cool dude, and but... The reason why we have it is that Gilgamesh is one of the is featured in one of the oldest civilizations on Earth, uh, Babylon. And one of the things about that is a lot of the what they would do is that they would do carvings and cartaceous onto like clay, clay tablets. And when they have these clay tablets, and after they write them out, when they dry, they become solid. But in some cases, they uh, would actually carve cuneiform. That's the name of their writing style. 
the cuneiform writing into different pieces of stone, especially on ziggurats and other large permanent buildings that they have. And those, and that's one of the reasons why the Epic of Gilgamesh has been passed down for uh, so long is because it's in stone. Now, I think another one of these stone ones that I want to go over, something that I find really interesting, is the... And this is one that almost everyone has heard of, at least one in one way or another, is the Rosetta Stone. Yes. Rosetta Stone is one of the most common languages. Actually, if, if uh, anybody in today's day and age as well would also know, too, that the Rosetta Stone is a... Well, now it's a program, but it helps you teach these languages, which is kind of funny when you say that, though. But yes, the Rosetta Stone, I believe the, orig- uh, the origination of that, too, was ancient Egyptian uh, hieroglyphic and uh, demotic, I think is how you pronounce it. Demotic? Uh, demotic. Um, demotic, yeah. Which, which you know, respectively, of course, this is all, all, all fun, falls underneath ancient Greek. I mean... You know, this all starts starts somewhere and pretty much goes from there. And I can't remember which which it was first because my knowledge of the uh, of the ancients is unfortunately a little bit limited in that regards. But yeah, like you know, we talk about that the Rosetta Stone. That's a very common one that to this day and age is still. Um, I think it was created uh, in BC somewhere in the hundreds. I can't remember exactly when, but I do know it was found slightly before eighteen hundred. I. Th- think just like like it was like august or july somewhere in that ballpark range where it was found but yeah you know it's like when we talk about the rosetta stone though that's one of the most more common ones you hear in this day and age it's also commonly used in video games too which is another reason why you hear that term you're like oh rosetta stone yeah we know what that is anybody who plays final fantasy will know rosetta stone was used to help identify the language of the finians in final fantasy one and i think it was a common theme throughout most of the final fantasies after that there are other games that have had it too though but uh, uh yeah you know, feel free to chime in. Yeah, you find it in the various other games. Um, they retitled uh, Double Dragon Three to be the Rosetta Stone. Um, That's true. Forgot about and that then one. And also, it's in um, Full uh, Metal Furies. It that has it in there. And the Rosetta Stone is how you unlock puzzles to get to the other side for it. Um, because a lot of that game's kind of locked, and to unlock it, you have to uh, solve the riddles that are on the Rosetta Stones. Now, the actual Rosetta Stone is actually a pretty cool item. Because what it is, is that it's a, it seems right with this, it's a large stone with different stone carvings that are done, that was around B, uh, 200 BCE. And they figured that King Ptolemy uh, uh, was the one that was around it. So what it is, is that they have a poem inside there that was written, uh, if I recall, let's, uh, feel free to, to at me on this one if I got this one horribly wrong. Um... But I recall that it is a inscription and a ser- uh, an inscription about a poem for Cleopatra. The thing with the Rosetta Stone is, is that it's written in a form of Egyptian hier- hieroglyphs. Now, above that hieroglyphs, though, is another set of uh, of translation of translation, and then it's the same poem written in another language for uh, a third language on that, and it's about four or five languages deep. Now the top one is in written in uh, a form of ancient Greek. Not there's a second uh, set of Greek le- uh, uh, writing underneath it, though. So it's the same poem rewritten time after time after time after time. And roughly about during the Napoleonic Wars, one of Napoleon's soldiers found this stone tablet there, have it and grabbed it and kept it and kept it during the war. After the war was over. 
what he would do is on his off time, if he if he ever uh while he was doing all of his regular stuff, on his off time, one of the things that he would do is just take a look at the stone and try to translate it. And his work is how we get some of the most uh some of the starting works for understanding Egypt uh Egyptian languages. Because the thing is that if you're trying to translate a language and there's linguistics out there all the way from the sixties who wrote, you know, Klingon and this and the, and you have, uh, Elvin, which is done by, um, why can't it, uh, Tolkien, these languages and language, there's people who out there who just write and understand how, if you understand how to proceed with a language, you can create your own language. The reason why the Rosetta Stone is so fantastic is because, People who created these languages back then, ancient times, wrote this de- poem down, not realizing it's the gateway for, um, for translating ancient works. Because if you can translate one of the languages, it's the same poem underneath it, and you can translate that, and then you can translate that, you can translate that. It's one of the th- ways that we sort of learn other languages is through writings, but you need something that's very familiar. A lot of missionaries, when they do missionary work, will get a, especially for like Christian missionaries, will have a version of the Bible, but written in the language of the place that they're going, because it's easier, because they already know what, what's in it, but this way they can work with the translation. But yeah, the Rosetta Stone is famous because it's in all these other places, because it's... um because that's where we get a quick reference of translations. And it took the guy decades to finally translate like one or two of the things and people took over later. But he did it, got it translated. It only takes one. It really does. Um, I think the current Rosetta Stone is held is in the British Museum. If uh, the way it serves right, the Rosetta Stone is only like maybe 60% of the stone complete. There's a whole bunch of it's missing. And uh, you got to realize the guy who found it found it while at war. The odds of something like that staying intact get lower depending on what the situation is happening on that. Yeah, it's it's not likely that the remaining pieces have survived, unfortunately, due to the shelling that was occurring at the time. Theft and then just sort of hanging on to it. and But it's fairly complete. And we don't have, even back then, we, uh, we have much better ways of preserving uh, historical artifacts now that we did back then. Heck, film is preserved much better now than it was when it first came around. Yeah, and even now, like, it takes years for some stuff to be inducted into the Preservation Society. I mean, for God's sake, the first Blade Runner film was only f- put in there within the last few years. And, I mean, if you think about that, that movie's like 35 years old. <laughs> it's not that old, and it's really important, especially for, um, I, I want to say sci-fi, but that's not exactly, uh, cyberpunk culture. And yet... Cyberpunk, science fiction in a general sense, um, and cinematography, because, like, the way that was filmed, the things they did, the lack of dialogue in at least the the later revisions where they removed the crap that was overlaid without Ridley Scott's permission as narration, like, there's a lot of... Mm-hmm explanation in just the world as you see it like you're just witnessing the occurrence not being told and that can be very beneficial to a viewer to just experiencing it instead of being told about it yeah and there's various things for it but the the important part to note is preservation uh, takes a while in archaeology they actually have a what they call the um it's 
it's sort of a crisis that they have because the historical record can be kept with anything that's on there that's about 50 or plus years old. So if you're in, say, a dig site, you find a bunch of uh, cups, stone tablets, stone works, and all these things that have been preserved, and then you don't have it anymore, uh, then you have to find a place to store it. Well, where do you store it? And at some point that, unfortunately, a lot of these things will get lost. It's You try to figure out which ones you get to keep, which one's the most important, and you hang on to it. Luckily, the Rosetta Stone is probably one of the biggest, most important works that you can find on that. But yeah, its significance is not underestimated. Like, they have it in different games. Like, in Double Dragon, they have the Rosetta Stone in there just as a... Because it was more recognizable than how they originally titled it in Double Dragon 3. Double Dragon 3, I almost made it out of the first room once. (laughs) (laughs) Double Dragon 3, The Legend of Bimmy and Jimmy. It's like all of them, though, right? (laughs) Not just three. They're all Bimmy. They're all Jimmy. (laughs) No, 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 no. Double Dragon 3, Bimmy and Jimmy is straight up just Bimmy and Jimmy. It's like the other ones are Billy and Jimmy, but Bimmy and Jimmy, you know, that's their legend. What about Jimmy and Jamie's? Doesn't exist, bro. Oh. (laughs) Oh. Although, since we're talking with ancient Greek and such, there is a a thing out there. It's called the Sicilios' Epitaph. Sicilios' Epitaph is a, and we mentioned that in the video too, it's a tombstone that you that they found, which is the tombstone of um, Sicilios. But in reality, it's Sicilios' wife. And he wrote this tomb on the tombstone a song on there, which is the epitaph for, which is the epitaph for his wife, which is, the rough translation on it is essentially that we sing this song and hopefully that others can remember the love that I have for my wife. Sicilius's epitaph is written in stone, and even better than that, it is the single mo- oldest, most complete song that anyone has ever found. It's true. Do. Actually, I believe there. Are, I believe it has also been. Uh... I'm going to pull it up real quick here because I think I remember seeing something on that, which is like when you were giving us like what we wanted to talk about um, in the process Mm. about this, too. I think I actually remember reading up on this that there was the the Greek language had been found because it was was Greek text. I know that. And yeah, they had managed to translate it. I'm pulling it up right now. Here we go. Got it. Okay. So what it is, is like for a song itself, this is actually very poetic when you think about this. And this is a very... Like, this is very nice to kind of read, seeing that's part of it. But it's like, while you live, shine, have no grief at all. Life exists only for a short while, and time demands this due. That's incredibly poetic for something like that. That's, you know, a both a song and an epitaph in, its pro, in the process of it. So, like, seeing something like that and having to be fully translated, you're right. That is remarkable. You know what I mean? Just so. let it, uh, so I'm doing my due diligence. This isn't the oldest song ever. There, there's older ones. I think the the oldest one that on record is an old, like Sumerian hymn. But it's not complete, um, because when they found it, it was on a, because um, a lot of these uh, songs are written on manuscripts. Because we've had, um, what is it, animal skin, papyrus. And there's even a, a set of um, like pulp wood that was carved in and such. But time and things will ravage these things, so you only get parts and pieces of it. 
that's what was the amazing thing about the Sicilios's epitaph is it's complete. Well, not just that, but um, the tablet also has like straight up um, <laughs> uh, melody uh, melody notes on it. So it really it just it it literally explains to you how to sing the lyrics of the song that's written on it, which is amazing. Yeah, that's like crazy to think about. <laughs> like we have what. Um, scales and such on it. Imagine having to take a piece of rock and having to carve bit by bit each scale on that. That would be time-consuming. So, but this guy did it. Yeah, no thank you. I'm good. <laughs> all written in ancient Greek. But the fact that he put in a melody and like with timing and such. Spot on. Oh, and if you're wondering an interesting uh, fun fact for that one, in nearly every copy game of civilization that is the theme song that they play for the greeks i believe that is sicilius is a different version of the of sicilius's epitaph and i always thought that was fun that they went into i think it was after about four or five um sicilius's epitaph is the main theme song for all for for the greeks since the beginning but about about Civilization Five or so, they, it's when every nation had a unique song that was fairly well known for its nation. Um, the Japanese had its old song called Sakura. Uh, the United States, I believe, had Hail to the Chief. I forget what. I think France has uh, one that's for their during the rev- uh, the French Revolution. But it's kind of neat to see that they do all that they do. Civilization does this like extra step of work. And I know at that point they started adding in voice acting, but the voice acting for those for the leaders are meant to be whatever their native language is, preferably at the time, but not not all the time. Uh, but I think it's neat that they've gone to those extra lengths, which you know they could easily have skipped that part. But yeah, so Sicilius's epitaph, old song, and you if you've been to enough Ren fairs, at some point somebody has played it once or twice, because. To play it properly, you need a, a lyre for it. However, there are versions of it that is played on the guitar, and there's one I found with a version on it in a ukulele. <laughs> yeah, I have to get your brother to check that one out at some point or another, since you know he knows how to play the ukulele. See if he'll yeah. do that, yeah. So one of the bigger, more famous ones is the Ten Commandments, right? You don't have to be a uh, theologian to understand Moses comes down from Mount Sinai, has Ten Commandments, Reads it. I think he breaks it at the end uh, because nobody's listening to it. Uh, that sounds right. I think it or or gets like struck by lightning or something. I yeah. I thought it was more like it depends on what story it was supposed to be because like basically I think it was something to do with the finger of God. Uh, was that because he came down, did his spiel with the Ten Commandments, and they and I think the finger of God is supposed to be the lightning bolt you're speaking about there, Brandon. That that, that happens is that essentially. Uh, God gets angry, strikes the Ten Commandments right in front of everyone and makes them believe in what Moses was saying, that this is the word of law of God, essentially, is supposed to be something like that. See, unfortunately, my uh, my studies on Christianity and... This is Judaism. Like, that is but- Christianity. Like, this is, yeah, Judaism. So, it's like... My, that's, thank you. I was about to say that, too. It's like, because... Uh, but, uh, you know, it's like my studies on this is unfortunately going to be very... I want to say it's there, but it's not there. You know what I mean? Because there's so much to learn about this. Like this is we're literally talking about one of the oldest, most known piece of history that has been passed down amongst generation and generation of mankind. And while 
for the most part, that have seen their own iterations of it. You know, they're all. Oh, I was trying to figure out. What's up? Because I was trying to remember oh. what happened. So here's sort of the thing on that. Um, during Exodus, uh, one of the things, well, Exodus is basically Moses leaving, you know, Egypt or leaving the pharaohs. And so they travel for 40 days and 40 nights over to a Mount Sinai. When they're in the mountain, um, Moses goes up, has the, uh, gets the, the 10 commandments written from, um, the, cause the Moses said the Lord delivered unto me two tablets of stone written with the finger of God. And on them were as written according to uh, all the words, which the Lord spoke uh, with you in the mountain, out out of the midst of the fire in the day of the assembly, so he came back with the with the stone tablets. After as the stone tablets, he lets everyone knows what's happening with that. And after the events of this, and sorry, not very big of a theologian here, but I'm still I really should have read up on this. That's my bad. But most of this can be found in Exodus twenty uh, verses one through seventeen, and then apparently also in Deuteronomy uh, five. Uh, uh, chapter four to the, verse four to the twenty-one. Um, but anyway, so after he reached for that, what he does with the Ten Commandments, and this is comes up with a different artifact entirely. The Ten Commandments are put into the Ark of the Covenant, and it's sealed away in the Ark of the Covenant uh, of the Covenant for him. So if you're watching old school like Indiana Jones, and you're watching um the Raiders of the Lost Ark, that's what's inside the Ark of the Covenant. Good old fashioned face melting magic. Well, that an untimely do. Well, it's untimely doing to whoever uses it if they are not righteous. Yeah. Right. Mm. Which I mean, I think a bunch of Nazis were definitely not righteous enough to cut their faces melted off by that sucker. So you know, I mean, weird, weird coincidence, right? You're a Nazi, your face gets melted. What happens there? To be fair, they, they had that shit coming. There's a lesson to be learned there. Yeah, very much so. Also, I always find it hilarious because like they cut a scene from that movie from that movie, and it's one line, but it's one of those. It only makes sense if you've under if you've read enough of the Bible to understand the one scripture notice that was that was in that line that was cut, and it's something about the eyes. So that's why they closed their eyes and they and they were spared. Yeah, it's just it's it's very um, unexplained, really, to the viewer. Yeah, because all you just know is that Indy is just saying, "Don't uh, close your eyes, don't look at the thing at all," and that's it. Everybody else who's looking at it, face melted. But I like to also believe it's because again, they're just a bunch of Nazis, and their faces are to be melted. Yeah, but the uh, he because after Moses comes down from the mountain with the two stone with the stone tablets for that, the people on there got kind of tired of having to travel. So uh, some of them uh, made a golden idol. So an engraved idol. And one of the commandments is thou shalt not uh, make unto thee any graven images. And so they have a false God that they just basically made up on the spot right then and there, because they're like, I'm bored waiting for, for Moses. Oh yeah. And if you want to read up on that, that's fine. Now, that's how the Ten Commandments are on there, but it is still in both Old and New Testament for it. It's in the Old Testament is where it comes from. But you can't have a New Testament without an Old Testament. Yeah, uh, well, there's, like, the Ten Commandments, those fall into a lot of different religious archetypes, too. I mean, you've got it represented in the Quran, as well as, you know, the Judeo-Christian religions and all, all of that. I mean, there's connections all over the place for it. And... 
as a result, there's actually a lot of theories out there about the commandments. Uh, one of them specifically is that there's more than 10. We've only discovered 10. The only way to find the rest of them would be to get your hands on the uh, Lost Ark. So, you know, good luck trying to find the Ark of the Covenant. Yeah. That didn't exactly work out for a lot of people. Yeah, no. I mean, it, it's just hard to believe that you would find um, so many connections to th these tablets, because it is uh, rumored that they're on the Ten Commandments are on two, that you would see these connections across so many mm -hmm. different religions and have it only spread so far, only have so, like... Oh yeah, the commandments are mentioned in just this section right here of the Bible, or of the Quran, or of the Al Anam, or whichever religious sect you go with. Mm -hmm. But it's like I feel like these commandments would be sprinkled throughout the whole thing, not just in these specific areas in this small like gathering. So it's fair to assume there could be more. But again, we can't say definitively either direction because there's no proof one way or another. Right. Yeah. I forget if they put that. Uh, I know some places will have a statue of remake of the Ten Commandments in like carved somewhere in front of different uh, in front of different courthouses and such. Yeah, there's a lot of them out there. But yeah, that's sort of where you get your rule of law. Now, moving away from that one a little bit. To go to something that um, is an interesting case is Egyptian uh, cartouche rooms. Egyptian hieroglyphs are still a type of writing that Egyptians would do for to explain different stories, different legends and such. So they have what's called cartouche rooms, which is a big room. And from top to bottom is carved into those stone uh, walls themselves, the writings that, that they have for it. Right. So the cartouche rooms are, which I always found interesting because your hardest part is figure out where page one is in a cartouche room. This door has four entrances, which where's the, where do I start? Where, where do I begin with this? And the more you say cartouche room, the more I think you're saying cartoon room. And it's not inaccurate because they're all pictures. Oh, what was it that the old meme saying was, oh, is the, the Internet and, and Egyptian hieroglyphs have in common? Not a lot of cats. <laughs> That's so true. Uh, it's also like my phone. There's a lot of cats on there. If anybody who's a cat lover will have a bunch of it. Makes sense to me. I mean, who doesn't like cats? I'll tell you who. Maybe dogs? I'll tell you who. Imhotep. Imhotep, Imhotep does not like cats. That's true. Yeah, he did scream at a cat, and then Brendan Fraser shot him in the face. And then he turned into a dust torn uh, sand tornado and ran away. Yeah. So, you know. Because he's a bitch. So, that reminds me of something. Is that because uh, they have the Book of the Dead and the Book of Life there, right? Is that made of stone or is it just gold inlay or is it actually pages? I think it was supposed to be gold inlay. I don't remember the entire details of that because I do know what you're talking about. Because it opens like a book, but yeah, it it's does. like three pages. It's a very heavy cover. It'll, it'll weigh you down. It's an excellent door. It's an excellent door stopper or, you know, toe breaker, depending on how you want to drop that thing. A little column A, a little column B, you know. You know what would be terrible for some of these things? Like, especially if you're in the cartouche room, right? You're carving away. You're cutting through all the stone. You get to a spot and you have a spelling error. Uh, there's not a whole lot of wide. There's not a whole lot of erasing technology at this time. I mean, at that point in time, you just uh, slap some clay on it and wait a day. You'll be good. Hope for the best. Yep. <laughs> Hope for the best. This, this should patch out, right? Oh, geez. So that makes me wonder then. I mean... How many things were we misconstruing because they tried to patch it with clay and then the clay kind of dissolved and the stone left behind? So stoneworks, um, especially at this level, is usually done by in guilds, right? They have to be artisans. They have to be very highly skilled. And I think that's why. 
Because once you screw up, there's no undoing that. You have to start over. Look, man, you can be skilled with the hammer and chisel and suck at spelling. <laughs> I'm just saying. It's true. Yeah. Instead of white out, they had clay out. And that won't exactly work because, like, depending on the type of stone that you have. Right. That's what I'm getting at. The clay would just, like, fall apart over time compared to the solid stone they're using. So it's like, is is that really supposed to be a picture of a human with a cat head? Or were they mistold that their friend had a cousin instead of a cat, so they had to patch it, but it didn't work right because it fell apart? <laughs> and what if you're, like, in Rome, okay? And in ancient Rome, they have, and this is where we get the origins of what trivias are, and triviadites, um, is trivia, which is where three roads meet. And what they'll do is put a fun fact there to whatever's the new town, a piece of that trivia, right? So you'd have the population, and you'd have, this is a, something interesting in this town. What if that's a typo? And they wrote it in stone. Oh, God. <laughs> Imagine having all of history laughing at you down the road. That's kind of what it's slowly turning out to be. It's like maybe like it's like I'm thinking about this too. It's like because we're talking about like the typos and the errors that we make, and it's like, what do you do? Do you just use clay? Uh, you know, like you got white out. Do you use clay out for that sort of thing? Is what we're going to call that? How do you do that for the giant the giant nose of the Sphinx? You know, those things got those things like they didn't get their noses, man. What happened? The guy screwed up so bad that it just chopped the nose off. And said, oh, we'll just go ahead and surprise you know some clay. Oh. Uh, that that ain't gonna work, is it? See that one, that one. The Sphinx is a different story. This, that one got shot off by a cannon. I was gonna say Godzilla came up and said nose goes and grabbed it. I also believe that one. Yep. <laughs> no. Um. Ironically, during uh, this is somewhat related because this is during the Napoleonic era, the Napoleonic Wars. Um. They used uh, a couple of schmoes. I don't know. Were working with uh, wanting to you know, take a couple of pot shots with the cannon, and they use the nose of the Sphinx to psych the, the, their uh, cannon. <laughs> so they nailed it. They're like, well, we're good. Yeah, that's basically what I'm hearing here. Well, a lot of these stoneworks and such actually got moved around, especially in uh, northern Africa, because of the Napoleonic Wars. You got to realize that the Napoleonic Wars at this time would basically be the closest thing the world, well, one of the, is considered one of the world's big world wars, like multiple nations having to compete against in the true early world war. Because uh, that comes up every so often with different places. The first big one, I think, is um, the Phoenician War, because that's Carthage against Rome. But you got to realize Rome is half of the of the of uh, the Western known world at the time. And Carthage is the other half. They will fight against each other. Uh, so that's a big world war there. And then you have the Napoleonic Wars. And technically, the Revolution U.S. Revolutionary War is a world war. Because it, the U.S. side of it is only like one tiny chunk of it. But to keep England, which is still a major power at that time, at bay, it's fighting wars all over the place. Because it's all over the world. And this is all before you get to actually World War One, which is a mess. To put it lightly. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. Yeah, definitely. But anyway, cartouche rooms. <laughs> yeah, cartouche rooms. Ba back on track. Now that we've had our fun with that. <laughs> so the reason why I ring up cartouche rooms is because one of my favorite TV series out there is Stargate. And the SG-1, Stargate Atlantis, and Stargate Universe. But I'm not a bigger, as big of a fan of that one for other reasons. But in Stargate, uh, science fiction series, and they go from planet to planet, you know, planet of hats. We just sort of change it up for exploring. In Stargate, they try to do their best to explain it all. And this is sort of a, you'll find that in like things like 
Star Trek or the Orville or other science fiction shows that do that, the better ones will have some sort of in-world universe reason for why they're doing what they're doing. Now, in the first episodes, they go to back to Abydos, the first the the first planet that they've been to from the movie. And the reason why they know the instructions for Abydos is because they have a cartouche ta uh, tablet that they found from 1912 when they found the Stargate. Now, next to that, though, when they go to Abydos, there is a full, what's called, what's their version of a map room. It's a big, giant cart room filled with cartouches with all these other symbols. They scanned in all those symbols, put it into their system, so that way they could try to calculate uh, where to put these to work. And it's something like, they actually put a ratio of, between that and a program that they designed, it would come up with with about one new viable address every, or two, one to two viable addresses every day. This is your in-universe reason why, hey, there's that planet. Hey, there's that planet. Hey, there's that planet. Hey, there's that planet. Later in the series, they get a third set uh, series of coordinates for it, but they're all coordinates, which is which is interesting for it. If anyone's ever read one of those old Rand McNally maps, maps for it, that's basically your version of here's the coordinate. If you have a coordinate on a map, you know where to go for it. But you kind of have to be very specific with those. So those are some of the bigger ones, and these are uh, the older ones on it. So here's sort of a weird, funny story type thing. I was working on the on the Stone Tablets video for the channel. I got to a point where like, okay, I seriously need to stop, take a break. I'm not going to bother with this for a while. Go in. And I put in um, Fallout New Vegas, right? Start playing Fallout New Vegas, and I end up at Boulder at uh, the town of Boulder, which in New Vegas, and I think Boulder and also the real city is right next to the Hoover Dam. And in there, they have a giant stone tablet written with all the names that fought uh, this giant battle for the for the Hoover Dam. And I'm sitting here going, "Fine." Universe, I got the sign. I'll get back to work. No relaxing for you. Not allowed. Well, those kind of tablets tend to show up often. Um, probably the most famous one is in a the real life version of it is the Vietnam Memorial in Washington D.C. Yep, where they have names of all people who passed away during the during the Vietnam conflict. Those are just big epitaph uh, tomes, and that's just probably one of the most famous one. But it's not the only one. Like. Different nations all over the world have stuff like that. Uh, but yeah, so in New, so we're talking NCR in Fallout New Vegas. This is a game that takes place in 2055 or 2188. 20, so way hundreds of years in the future. And they're still writing stuff in stone because it'll stick. I mean, yeah. On that same note, there's um, a more recent, well, I guess recent in terms of being put to visual animation but it's an older um story in the gundam universe would be uh gundam unicorn the whole plot of that uh ova series literally revolves around a stone tablet because it's it's the um the charter for the universal sensory when they were beginning the universal sensory and ending the anonymity or however it's pronounced um they had uh, made this charter decreeing all kinds of things about, you know, this new unified um, existence of Earth because they had now started reaching well beyond the stars. In this process, though, a, there's an attack on the station where they're all literally engraving with laser the signatures of all these, you know, politicians at the time, and they destroyed the colony this was being done on. But one person who was not on the colony got to see this happen and saw the charter stone floating in space. 
and he thought to collect it. And because of that, uh, everybody on the planet was terrified that he could release the true charter that had all of the listed notations, including the one that stated, should there be a, what was it, a um, space optimized subspecies of human that comes into being, they would be given priority to help guide humanity into this intergalactic era. Um, and everybody, the reason why that colony was destroyed was so people would not, you know, get to see that etched on the charter. They didn't want that information out there. They were afraid of change, if you will. So this dude just like sat on it and he didn't make any unreasonable demands, really. I mean, Earth went on doing its thing. He just wanted to be in a good state. <laughs> so when it it's brought up that, oh, there's a thing that could change the course of history, like everybody's fighting to try and find this thing. It's like, what the hell is it that they're talking about? And it's the true finalized charter that has like two extra notes on it, as opposed to the one that everybody was taught was real. So kind of like the 10 commandments thing and the theory that there could be additional commandments out there. I'm trying to think of like some other games though too, that also have the usage of like stone tablets as well. And I mean, Oh shoot. A weird one to find is a Pokemon actually has them. Isn't it the unknown? Yep. Unknown or literally a written language on stone tablets in the second game. I thought that was fun to deal with. It was. There's even Pokemon cards that are written with unknown. <laughs> I believe that. Yeah. There's also it's it's a nightmare to read. <laughs> if I remember correctly, there's also the uh, um, there's also a Legend of Zelda that had the stone tablet. that's actually called the stone tablet, which I think was the Japanese only one that you could only play back in the day, like way, way back in the day when I think it's the super Famicom or the Famicom itself had internet capability. You, you were only allowed to play it on select weekends. Uh, you know what I'm talking about, right? It's a Teleview. Yeah. Uh, it's called the BS, the legend of it. We covered it in the video. Yeah. yeah we, we covered it in the video. It was BS, the legend of Zelda, which was annoying to cover because that's its official title, BS, The Legend of Zelda, Agents of Tablets. The Legend of Zelda. For the longest time, I thought that that was some kind of weird internet joke because it's BS, but no. No, broadcast satellite, The Legend of Zelda, mm -hmm. because you had to use the Satellaview at certain times because they literally live broadcasted narration over your play. That is... But I super cool. That's what I thought. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, I remember something like that. And then, of course, I'm also thinking too. It's like I don't know if this would technically count or not. But Kyle, maybe you can correct me or not on this too, because I know you played this game with me as well. But Seventh Saga. Do you remember that one? Well, with Seventh Saga, I do remember the title screen having a stone tablet. I vaguely remember the title too, not very well, but but insane. I want to remember because it's like the whole premise behind it was collecting magical runes, and you could argue that magical runes are by proxy uh, affiliated with stone tablets because I mean, it's, it's a, it's a rock. It's got cravings in it. It's got magical uh, cravings. It's got carvings in it. It's got, yes, it's got hunger too. Um, you know, it hungers to be found um, anyways, but you know, it's a rock. It's got carvings in it. It has magical powers to it. And a lot of like, and a lot of what you tell them with when you're talking about stone tablets generally tend to, have their own, uh, you know, mysticism about them. You know, we talk like the, the Epic of Gilgamesh, mm -hmm. we talk the Ten, the Ten Commandments, Rosetta Stone, the whole fact that you can literally decipher language using the Rosetta Stone was a 
you know, when you think about it itself and its own by its, its own thing is a, is a mystical proxy of itself. And when you think about that, so it's like, you could argue that too. Like that's another video game right there that also have that. And I'm trying to say like, I know any of the dark souls that are out there, any of the souls games are out there will have stone tablets. So it's, you see these things commonly used across more fantasy based games, but they do exist, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, an interesting one is for, Oh, what is it? Why can't I think of its name? I used to play it a bunch. Um, it's that Viking game kind of that you can build, do a lot of crafting in Valheim. Valheim, yeah. So Valheim has runes, has rune stones that you find throughout the world for it too. Um, well, let me backtrack. So stones that have written carvings on it, you look at it, it at it, and it'll give you some instructions for the part of the game. But the reality is that's actually what's better known as runestone because they're written in ru- the runic stone with writings from the runic language. So yeah, uh, it's uh, that's what runestones typically are. That's the difference between that and a regular stone. Is runestones have runic writing into it. So yeah, you have things like runic writing, the Greek alphabet, cuneiform. So the thing is that a lot of these have sharp edges because they're easier to carve into things for for it when they when they do the writing. So in the Greek alphabet, it's like things like omega you stay away from as much as you can use it because it's a looks like a horseshoe. But if you go with uh, runic writing, they're angles and angular lines for uh, in different positions. The reason why they do that is because runic writing is meant to be done on stone. So it's easy to easier to carve in a, a straight line than it is to make any kind of actual design for it. The Greeks just had uh, were more proficient in it, so they could do more arcy things into it, which is why they have different lettering. But cuneiform is a type of lettering that Babylonians used. Yeah. Same thing. Very angular, very straight, much uh, associated with a bunch of straight lines because you can carve it into stone and specifically clay very easily. It's kind of how we have the origins of tick marks. So if you're wanting to know a, a crazy guy with tick marks, uh, what is it? Mr. Zaz from the Batman series <laughs> has a bunch of tick marks on his uh, arms for everything and he's, uh, he's, he's killed. But yeah, cuneiform started that way, which is use tick marks for numbering. So yeah, see, uh, runic stones, that's what a rune stone is. But yeah, you'll see them all over the place. If you see anything reference to like Viking lore and such, there's probably one that's in there. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, it wasn't like it wasn't like you know stone carvings and stuff like that was strictly uh you know was like strictly a part of like just ancient Greek and ancient Egyptian timeline and Mesop- uh, Mesop- Mesopotamia and things like that as well. You know, it's like we're still doing it pretty much as long as you have the ability, you know how to hammer and chisel, and pretty much it's not a, it's not a uh, um, not a foreign concept. It's just a dead one in this day and age, obviously. But still, yeah. Well, semi did. It's there's not really a they're still doing it. It's just not as practical. See what we're talking. Uh, one of the things, the reasons why these are in there is because they're done as memorials for like tombstones, which are meant to last for a long period of time, but also the creation and the production of paper and other writing things for it. It gets better with it, with time. Like papers is a big deal and difficult to make those writings into until, because it's easier to make one big memorial, carve the writing in there, put it somewhere in the town that everybody could see it, and we call it a day. It takes a long time. It's a lot of effort to do that. And then all of a sudden, the printing press gets invented, which changes that. So you, go, well, you could just print everything into one, into sheets of paper and hand that out to people instead. So question on that, actually. Mm-hmm. Were the original printing presses done with metal 
based letters or were they etched out of stone for their um for their pressings i think it was metal um because they wanted it to be like, were they cast I, they're casted because they need a very particular shape for it. Okay. Um, but you could do it with stone. I mean, what what it, what is a metal if not a refined rock that they form into the stone? That's what iron is. Exactly. So, argumentatively, stone tablets are being used repeatedly with individual letters to create the works that we have read for years. That's very true, yeah. Until they started using inkjet printers. You go from stone to get to everyone, then paper production... And then from there, you go to pulp is the next big one, which is in the late 1800s, early 1900s. is why we have what's called pulp novels, because it paper was so much easier to make from this cheap pulp that you can now make production of uh, paper uh, books re- really easily. Other types of uh, paper, and then you get into, you know, computers. Once you get to the, uh, to the computer age for the jet printer, it makes it way easier to print. And then we have things like, kindles and such that and um just your cell phone which is all digital uh, but yeah um looks like from what i can find so far some of the original printing presses were mostly made of iron and metal um because they in order to keep its shape hey iron is that is made from ore which is just a rock so you know what it's a written stone tablet it's got a letter on it you'd have golden writing if you want to in that case it's still technically a stone tablet well anything written in that I'm going to go outside and get a rock and just, like, smack it with a hammer and, like, there, stone tablet. <laughs> a lot of rock uh, rock use for stone tablets and such nowadays is mostly for artwork and art. Yeah. There's there's no practical reason for it anymore. No. It's fun, though. I like it. Lost art form that's found occasionally. <laughs> well, it comes up once in a while. Like the Georgia gu- uh, Guidestones. That's all stonework that's done there. Yeah, because the Georgia Guidestones is a weird is a weird thing, but it wasn't intended as an art piece. So it's probably the last big stonework that's meant for a purpose. Because the Guidestones are designed to last for a long time in the event of apocalyptic nature, we have something to give people hope and instruction. That's its original thing with the Guidestones on that. And uh, from what I last checked, they are being rebuilt for it. But yeah, you put things in stone to keep them up and going. Um, that's basically all I've got for the stone tablet stuff. Uh, does anybody else have any other examples and things? I wish I could have brought more to the table on this one, to be honest with you. It, uh, but past that, though, not really on my end. Um, yeah, this isn't going to be one of our longer ones, um, mostly because um, stone tablets, their biggest thing is just you write into them and you keep it in stone and it just lasts a long time. This is true. And it's a dying art form, but it's not a dead art form. People will still make these art type th- this for whatever reason, or just to imprint that this is going to last a long, long time. It's one of those things that uh, still impacts us to this day, but we just don't think about. Right. The amount of um, stories and fiction that's written with a stone tablet in there is massive, and they're all over the place. You throw a rock at a science, at anything science fiction, at some point, they're going to deal with a stone rock worth writing in there. Even as fantastical as they get, sometimes there's just a, it's just good old fashioned stone rock writing is what they need. So, yeah, I think that is actually about it for this. Uh, when this comes out, will be uh, the next episode that the, uh, will come out for us will be on September 16th. So, until then. Thank you, everybody, for listening to this podcast. Uh, this is a gaming theater podcast. Logging out. And I hope you enjoyed this EXP boost. Bye, everybody. Peace. Toodles.
Gaming Theater podcast is hosted, created, produced, and edited by Leo Garcia, the Geek Scorpio. Our music is A Drinking Game, stock media provided by Stormwave Audio slash Pond5. Our cover art is by Adam Parker. You can find him at ParkerGFX on Twitter. If you want to send us some financial support to help with producing things for Gaming Theater, you can do so at patreon.com slash gamingtheaterpresents. It helps us out. Want to send support that doesn't hit your wallet? Please leave a review with wherever you hear your podcasts and share our podcast with your friends. It really helps out. Thank you for listening. <laughs>